Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host. All right, Cougar fans, I got to take my cane shades off. Got to take them off. This is my crow video to Washington State fans. Congratulations to all Washington State fans. Y'all came through, and uh, you went ahead and won the 2015 Sun Bowl in El Paso. The Sun Bowl turned into the Snow Bowl, but y'all went ahead. Y'all were the better team. Congratulations. Y'all first win since the 03 season. Y'all were very impressive. Uh, Mark, uh, sorry, Kevin Falk, man, he's the truth. Man, he's ready for Sunday. He's probably going to be the best Washington State quarterback since Drew Bledsoe, probably even better than Drew Bledsoe. Fourth quarter came. I thought that we might have had a chance to win. I prayed for the, to the Snow Angel. I prayed to her. Let me him down. She let me down. It is what it is. Um, shout out to Brenton from Cougar Center. I believe it's Cougar Center. Um, he tried to post uh, my video on the Cougar Center. I believe the main editor didn't want the video on there, but he tried. He called me up, said he was upset with the main with the main editor over there for not putting the video. He was upset. He wanted to punch him in. The I said, don't do it. I don't have bail money. I've spent all my, my, my money on Christmas presents for my children. Don't do it. And he said, all right. He was upset. The video was supposed to go up, but I guess the main editor didn't want it. But it is what it is. Michael Preston. I am working hard on Kane Shade's investigation into who on this website did not let our own Britton Ransford put all of Kane Chain's Unk Nasty's videos onto the website for his smack-talking earlier before the Sun Bowl. I am diligently working to find out who it was. It's probably new, sir. Probably. <laughs> if you didn't enjoy the glory that was Kane Shade's Unk Nasty before the Sun Bowl, that might have been the greatest find of, like, fan anger or like a fan before any game WSU has played this year. Completely glorious and just totally wonderful. It was great. <laughs> Welcome back to the Coog Center Hour post-Sun Bull Victory Edition. That's so cool to say, isn't it? First time since 2003 this football team has won a bowl game when they beat Texas in the Holiday Bowl. This time they beat a, well, a storied program as Texas, Miami. Um, not quite the Miami of ye old, and I don't think they're going to be back to where Texas got a few years after WSU beat them. But still, you know, just looking back on it, let's just, you know, just absorb it a little bit on Saturday. It just, that felt cool to do that to a team like Miami. I, I, I don't care if they aren't, you know... Late 80s, early 90s, or early 2000s Miami. I, I don't. Miami's still Miami. It's still the U. And Washington State went out and not only beat them, but beat them with their defense. That The offense did not win that football game. That opening drive that we missed. More on that later. That opening drive that we missed was really the, you know, the... Only like really steady offense that WSU had all day. They did move the ball occasionally, otherwise, and obviously, Gabe Mark scored another touchdown and more on him later on as well. 
Gabe Marks scored a touchdown later on in the game, but Washington State really won that football game with their defense. I mean, Brad Kaya, probably as good a quarterback as they were going to face all year, pedigree-wise in the way he played. You know, Kevin Hogan up there, uh, obviously, so it was Josh Rosen, and you can make an argument for Jared Goff, but I think Brad Kaya was probably up there in terms of just the quality quarterback that Washington State was going to face all year. And they went out there and they shut them down. Yeah, the weather might have had something to do with it. Yeah, the weather wasn't awesome and you know might have slowed Miami down a little bit. But I think, nonetheless, just looking at what Washington State was able to do in that Sun Bowl, you're playing a team you've never played before, you've never had to prepare for before, and the defense goes out and just completely balls. I mean, get getting, and we'll talk about this with Jacob Thorpe here in a little bit, getting those timely turnovers. Peyton Pelour's interception in the end zone uh, when Miami was going to go up. I think it was 14-7 to if I'm remembering right. Getting those really timely turnovers. Shalom Luani's last pick of the game. That Miami fumble late, close to the end zone there uh, when they were down 20, or when WSU was up 20-14. to Getting those big-time turnovers. Something we didn't see at all last year. And Washington State's going to finish, I think, with close to three times as many takeaways this year. Three times as many as they had all of last year. At least it's close. I I know they had eight last year, or in uh, 2014. I guess last year is now, or I guess 2015 now is last year, which is depressing. Um... But you, you you more you more than double it at the very least, and I, I need to go back and do the math. But you got close to tripling it as well. I don't think that's sustainable for next year. I certainly don't think it should be the expectation. But again, getting into the high teens and turnovers is just something good football teams do, and that's what this football team did. And I think on Saturday, more than any other game of the year, they showed you that they got those turnovers when it mattered most. They got turnovers when they really and truly needed them. Again, not something that you know you you can say is going to continue to occur going forward every game. You can't count on it every game. But kind of in that one game where you really wanted to win, you wanted to end the season on a really high note, on a really cool note, they did it. They got those timely turnovers. They got the job done. And the defense played so incredibly well. Especially the linebackers and the defensive line. Those guys were in Brad Kaya's face most of the day. Hercules Mata'afa, who Jacob Thorpe's going to talk about later. This kid is just... How good he is is hard to quantify. How good he is. He's, he's all name team, for one thing. Hercules Mata'afa. That's just so cool. That's such a cool name. Getting double teams. Still pushing through it. Destiny Vial getting back there in his last game. Daryl Paulo playing well. Jeremiah Allison had a good game. Ivan McLennan had a good game as well. This defense went out there and took care of business on Saturday. And I think you saw on the offensive side of the ball, I think you saw a little rust on Luke Falk's part. I don't think it's unreasonable to expect 
especially with you know t- you typically lighter practices going up to a bowl game. This wasn't like getting ready for the first game of the season where you're you know more intense practices, things like that. The coaches aren't focusing on you know, development as much in these practices before a bowl game. They want to get the young guys some run. They want the young guys to practice a little bit more. And those are invaluable for this team going forward. The ability for the freshmen, the sophomores, just to get more reps uh, as we go on. But I think you definitely saw a lot of rust from Luke Falk. His passes weren't as crisp as they could have been. Some poor decisions than we're used to seeing him make. Uh, and, you know, just didn't look like the quarterback that uh, he did uh, earlier in the season. And that's fine. Again, you know, I, I it was good enough to win the football game on Saturday, and I think that's the important thing. Nothing Luke Falk really did, you know, that he threw a hell of a dime to Gabe Marks on his touchdown, but nothing that Luke Falk really did kind of, you know, jumped out and wowed you on Saturday. And he doesn't need to do that to win a football game, you know, Every week, but it was not surprising to see him have some trouble uh, coming off a concussion and you know not practicing a ton, not getting up to full speed in practices before a bowl game and having a whole week full of distractions before it as well. Not terribly surprising, I think, but still played well enough for this football team to win the game, and I think that's the important thing. I want to highlight one other guy on the offense, and we're going to get to Gabe Marks later on. We'll spend a segment talking about him and what his return to this football team um, means as well. Uh, But one other guy I want to make sure we highlight here on the offense is Jamal Morrow had a heck of a ball game. Really had some nice runs. Had that first touchdown catch. Went, uh, I think it was 30-plus yards. Again, we didn't see that. But he had a really nice ball game. And I, I think it... You know, going into next year, when you get James Williams coming off his red shirt, and you still have Gerard Wicks back there, you still have Jamal Morrow back there, and Keith Harrington uh, probably still going to be back there, at least in some capacity. I think he'll at least play receiver, but we know uh, from Jacob Thorpe that uh, Jim Mastro has been pretty adamant that Harrington's not going anywhere permanently. He's staying back at halfback. But you look at that going into next year, and it's nice to have those other options to see when a guy like Gerard Wicks might be having trouble or he's just in a game where he just doesn't match up well, you know, the strength of a, a Team X is on the defensive line and Jamal Morrow can bounce it outside a little better. Having that depth is something that Washington State has not had since Mike Leach arrived. They haven't had that depth across the roster to absorb an impact or to absorb that if a team has a strength that is designed to stop a playmaker, you can just put somebody else in and they have a different strength that can counteract that really well. Washington State hasn't had that to this point. We've talked about in the past what how fluky 2013 was, how fluky that 6-6 six and six was, because they still got their butt kicked in a lot of games, and they got lucky and won some games they probably shouldn't. Now, they, get, they got their butt kicked once this year, but I'm going to take that more as an aberration more than anything else. not a symptom of a problem. It's an outlier. It happened one time. Whoopie-doo. Yeah, the opponent's not whoopie-doo, but you know, it, it, not as big of a symptom of issues as you might have seen in 2013 where that team was very lucky to be 6-6. Six and six. Looking back on it, and you go back to how we all felt at the beginning of the year after those first four weeks to now, now nine and four doesn't seem like an aberration for this football team. From where they were at two and two to go seven and two from that time, they got they were bowl eligible twice. 
They were basically bowl eligible twice. That's all I'm going to think of it. That this this team is finally improving, and I think they finally hit that stride. And you saw that offseason work get put in, and it all just kind of finally clicked a third of the way through the year. It all just finally got rolling for them. And now you have a football team that in 2016 is getting good at the right time. They're getting that depth at the right time. They're retaining their playmakers at the right time. They have a good quarterback at the right time. They have good guys coming back on defense at the right time. Let's be clear about something. The Pac-12 North is down next year. Oregon loses Vernon Adams, and Dakota Prukop is a good quarterback, but he's not Vernon Adams. Stanford's breaking in a new quarterback. Oregon State's still rebuilding. California just kind of treaded water this year, weirdly. Will probably lose Jared Goff. They need a new quarterback. So next year in the Pac-12 North, it really is Washington State and Washington. If the Huskies can get their offense figured out, if Jake Browning can be more consistent, if they can get some more playmakers other than Miles Gaskin on that side of the ball, you figure it's Washington State and Washington for the Pac-12 North title, which makes the Apple Cup just a little interesting. But next year is the year for Washington State. You have to assume that Stanford's going to reload. You have to assume that Oregon's going to reload. You either need to keep up or you need to take advantage of the fact that next year, 2016, is the year they're going to kind of take it off and rebuild a bit. Improve that recruiting. Get out there and get to double-digit wins. You look up and down that schedule next year without, you know, college football is not an easily predictable thing. But you look up and down that schedule and there's really no reason this football team can't win 10 games. Bowl game included. I, I, I just... It's not like in previous years, and I've said this before, where you look at a schedule and you just automatically tick off a loss, loss, loss. Do you look at it and go more likely to lose that game? Sure, maybe. Against Stanford, UCLA gets a lot of good players back too. Got to play them. You, you look at some and say, well, is it more likely that they may lose? Sure. But you don't just automatically check a box that says loss. And I think that's the best part about where this football team is right now is that you don't just look at a schedule and go, well, there's a loss, so we got to find six somewhere else. You got to find six wins somewhere. It's not hard to find six wins next year with the way this team is constructed. It really isn't. That is the most encouraging thing to me. That's the most encouraging thing from this performance. They went down to El Paso, played a team they'd never seen before, and played a pretty good Miami football team, and held on. They didn't bury them when they could have. They didn't step on their throat when they could have, which was worrying, but they held on. How many previous iterations of this football team would have done that? The correct answer is probably zero at least recent iterations of this football team. They held on to that football game, and they did it with their defense. An absolutely amazing performance that gives me some hope going forward that this football team has finally, finally 
gotten to that corner and turned it. Finally. Jacob Thorpe from the El Paso airport. The poor guy finally able to get out of West Texas. We'll talk to him next here on the Kook Center app. Center Hour uh, with a man who finally, some, uh, I think this is now 48 hours late, Jacob, you finally get to leave, uh, as you can hear, El Paso International Airport, uh, Jacob Thorpe gets to leave El Paso finally uh, and head back to Pullman to report on the basketball team. Uh, not, not, not the first impression you probably had of West Texas that it would be 30 and snowing while you were there. I didn't really know what to expect. I certainly thought it would be hotter, but, you know, it, it was hot. The day before the game, it hit 70 in El Paso. So we were all, you know, we, we brought our coats, we, we put them away, and then game day happened, we all had to scramble to find them because it was, it was pretty brutal. Like you said, we all, we all got snowed in. The team just barely made it out after sitting on the runway for a while. And I, I've been here long enough where I think I could probably get in-state tuition at West or at, uh, at UTEP after establishing a residency. So, you know, it's nice to be in the airport and kind of on the on the way to get home. But El Paso was fun. You know, I think uh, it had a bad rap. But one thing I think people always say about the Sun Bowl is that they, you know, they really, they're really welcoming. They really put on a good show. And that was certainly true. Uh, I think the uh, the players certainly uh, had a lot more fun with the uh, – the experience of the New Mexico Bowl in terms of the, the excursions mm-hmm. and stuff they were having them doing. Uh, they treated us media really well. So, you know, you, you can't complain at all about the uh, what the Sun Bowl does or how it does it. Uh, the snow just, I think, kind of caught everybody by surprise. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about that here in a bit just because the weather during the game obviously had an effect on everybody, I think, uh, including Luke Falk a little bit throwing the ball. But, Jacob, you get to... Uh, this team gets to tie a bow, a uh, pretty nice bow, on a, a season that had its ups, its downs. It, really, those downs came at the beginning and end of the regular season. But 9-4 uh, and four after that start to the year, uh, everybody in that locker room, given the progress they made from 2014 to 2015, has got to be pretty darn happy uh, with the results of this year. Yeah, they're pumped, and you know, I, I sort of asked them too. Next year, does it occur to you guys that you have 15 stars going back and you're set up pretty well? And uh, yeah, you know, they've been kind of thinking about that too. So I think they feel like they're really setting themselves up for a big run next year. And and I think what that does is I think if you go into this off season just feeling like you're really, really going to be successful next year, as long as you can avoid getting a big head, you know, Leach talked about how you know this season was set up by last year's off season, how it started in the locker room right around this time. And how everyone really, really committed to getting better, and and I think now that they, you know, this was their reward. That was reinforced. You really got to think that they're going to put in a lot of work this offseason. He could really do something special next year. I want to talk a little bit uh, just about the game in general, too. Uh, nine and four. You finish it with a win over the University of Miami. Not obviously the Miami of 
the early 2000s, but it is still Miami. Getting a win over a prestigious program like that uh, is big, and to do it the way they did it is a way we've kind of seen them do it a couple of times this year that you wouldn't really expect from this team with the defense only allowing Miami to score 14 points in that ballgame. Well, and, and such an opportunistic defense, too. I mean, they had three turnovers uh, that were inside the Washington State 30-yard line. It's not like the defense just buckled down and stopped Miami. I mean, Brad Kai is a very good quarterback. He, he can throw the deep ball, and, and and we saw that all game. You know, he, he, he led Miami on some drives, but every time they threatened, the Washington State defense shut the door. I mean, Peyton Pelour had an interception, then Jordan Wicks gives the fumble back back, and then they still hold him to zero points on mm-hmm. those two straight trips right down inside the, uh, the 30 there. Uh you know those three interceptions. Those three, sorry, those three turnovers. I don't know that they had one turnover like that last year over the course of the season. They, no. didn't, they didn't. They didn't make things happen with their back against the wall. Now at the end of the season against the U, they're doing it three times to win a ball game. So it's you know it's really starting to change, in my opinion, the uh, the kind of nature and tenor of the program at this point. Is it really this offensive? You know, is Washington State really this known for its offense program anymore? Because the defense is the one that's you know getting the job done. And in the last two games, the offense has combined to score 30 points. Uh, you know, the defense did just fine in the Apple Cup. They didn't give up three uh, defensive touchdowns, and the uh, you know they obviously won the bowl game against Miami. So at this point, it's starting to seem like Washington State's defense is at least is uh, is much carrying the team as the offense is. We at the beginning of the COI held, you know, around this time last year, we were all a little worried about who Mike Leach was going to hire as his defensive coordinator. You fired Mike Bresky at the end of the year, and by this time, you still hadn't hired a defensive coordinator, so it was getting a little worrying. And then when you heard of a guy who'd only ever coached the safeties, and that was the most he'd ever coached in his career, coming here from Missouri, and he was going to be in charge of an entire defense in a year that was kind of make or break for Washington State, you got a little worried, but. As it turns out, those worries were probably about as unfounded as anything uh, we've ever felt in Washington State football history because Alex Grinch, uh, Jacob, he did quite the job with the defense this year, turning it around. You talked about those turnovers, but also just kind of that mentality of that entire unit uh, in 2015. Yeah, he's really got to turn it around, and you got to think he's back next year and can really instill that defense and kind of create a tradition of good defense in this program. After that, I think every year you get with him is probably a gift. Uh, you know, this isn't anything I've heard or reported or whatnot, but, uh, you know, a lot of people who've encountered Alex Grinch over the course of the year just kind of remarked that he sort of feels like a head coach. You know, I think he's on a pretty quick upward trajectory, whether or not that's becoming a defensive coordinator at a, at a place that can pay him a million to two million a year, or whether or not that's taking a head coaching job. I just don't see him being around all that long, frankly. But the reality is if the defense keeps playing like this, if he's able to sustain them at a level where he gets a good job and the defense or, and the offense is able to do what the offense has kind of proven it can do the last two years, then you're making you're hiring your next defensive coordinator off a ten win team with a lot of talent on the defense. So you know, if Alex Fritch's legacy is that he came to Washington State for two or three years and made it a defensive program and made it so that they can continue to hire really good coaches then that's plenty because he's already done so much in terms of changing the culture of the defense. So defense is getting better. Offense, you got Luke Falk back in this game, uh, Jacob, and I think he looked you know, a little tentative at times maybe to be you know, understanding he hasn't really played full-speed football in more than a month and he's coming back off a concussion. Uh, but he looked okay at times in that game, but I don't think he quite looked like the Luke Falk of old. 
and some of that has to do with the snow, sure. Other has to do with that month-long layoff. So I, I, I think that not his best performance, but he would probably certainly take it uh, against a pretty decent secondary in Miami. Yeah, I, I think it's. I think you're right. I think it's a performance you take not on what you've got going in. So, granted, he he did have a long layoff, but so did every other quarterback playing in a bowl game. So everyone's got to deal with a little bit of rust. But frankly, he he looked pretty rusty in the practices leading up to the bowl game. I, I just think that you know getting hit like that. I think there's some tentativeness that invariably comes into play. His throws were just off for most of the game. You know, he he was missing in ways that I've just never seen him miss. Missing by three, four, or five feet consistently. And I've got to think that's intentiveness. I've got to think some of that's not being hit in a while. And I think some of it's the fact that the conditions were really bad, particularly in the second half. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's when it started to affect both quarterbacks. And it's not just the fact that it's snowing and you can't see and it's cold and your hand's starting to freeze up. Uh, you know, it got really slippery. You, you, you were starting to see that on a lot of plays where players couldn't kind of get their grip on the field. Uh, combining everything there, you know, he, he didn't, he wasn't turning the ball over. He he was missing high and, you know, throwing incomplete passes rather than putting it into in dangerous spaces. Most of the time, there were a few dangerous throws. But uh, I think with, with what you were getting out of your defense, that was a, a safe performance that got them the win. We need to talk about the obvious thing uh, here with this offense. Is, uh, yesterday, Gabe Marks makes the announcement that apparently he made his decision uh, almost two months ago that after the Stanford game, he was going to be coming back to Washington State next year. He thinks they can start beating programs like Washington State without getting into whether he's right about that or not. I mean, we could save that for another day, probably next fall. Uh, what he means for this program coming back, especially for the receivers who are losing Dom Williams, one of their better receivers, is basically everybody is back on the offense outside of Joe Dahl, uh, one other offensive lineman who I can't remember, and Dom Williams. So... With the best, arguably the best wide receiver weapon in the Pac-12 is coming back. What does this do for them next year, confidence-wise? You got to think it just keeps it about 15 miles in the air uh, in terms of how confident they can be with this offense. Well, it, it adds, you know, probably five or six touchdowns to the output is what I would say because you know, I mean, if Gabe wasn't there, someone else would be getting a lot of the catches, mm -hmm. and they've got a lot of good receivers. But that said, they don't have anyone like Gabe. You know, he he's had a lot of touchdowns this year that would certainly have been incomplete passes, maybe interceptions, because he has this in, in, insane ability to go pick the ball out of the air while a defensive back has a better angle at it. Yep. And and so he's some he's a, he's a type of talent that truly does add touchdowns to your output. He he makes Luke Falk a lot better. Ultimately, though, I think the biggest impact is just the the, the way that he came back, or at least the way that he says he's coming back. And you know, I I take him at his word. Uh, to, to come back like that and say, I'm coming back because I truly think we can make the Rose Bowl next year. Uh, what, what does that do for the locker? What does that do for the younger receivers? What, what sort of example does that set for Tavares Martin and Kyron Priester and those guys? So, you know, I think him coming back like that is really going to pay big dividends in this offseason like we talked about. Uh, you know, and he's, he's a competitor and he's coming back for a competitive reason. So I think that, that does nothing but really kind of uh, reinforce what Leach is doing uh, in the locker room and in the offseason and in the weight room. Just looking back confidence-wise, you mentioned, Jacob, them kind of picking it up a little bit next year with Gabe Marks coming back. Uh, what is what is a win over a team like Miami, you think, do for guys this age? They may not, you know, they were really young the last time Miami was kind of that 
elite program, but they have to know the history of the Hurricanes. What do you think this does for them kind of confidence-wise just going into the offseason? I know it's, you know, going basically nine months between games is a long time to carry some swagger, but it at least has to help going into offseason weightlifting and spring practices, you'd figure. Well, I think it makes you feel invincible. I mean, truly, I think, you know, they, they had had a few other signature wins. You know, winning on the road against UCLA is not nothing. Beating Oregon on the road is not nothing. Mm-hmm. But Miami's not a team that you kind of feel like is a conference peer. That's this really good program that you know nothing about. That, frankly, still has a lot of talent. You know, what I was really struck by in the post-game conference, press conferences, frankly, was that uh, every, well, seemingly, seemingly every Miami player that wasn't a senior was asked, are you coming back next year or are you entering the draft? You know, the, 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 even though Miami only won eight games this year, it had a lot of guys who were considering entering the draft next year. So yeah. it's a very talented team. And if you can beat them, if you can go and beat a, a Miami team at a neutral site, why shouldn't you feel like you could beat anybody? And I think this team this year started to believe it can beat everybody. Maybe a win like this helps you expect to beat everybody or be surprised when another team's close to you because you're the, you're the guy mm-hmm. that went to played Miami, you know? I want to talk about one other thing, Jacob, and it, it, it's kind of went under the radar a little bit, I think, in the second half of the season is, you know, obviously this football team got much better uh, as the year went on outside of that turd they laid in Seattle, but the special teams got a lot better as the season went on. We kind of at the beginning of the season saw this, you know, oh God, same thing all over again. Eric Maley can't fix, you know, what was broken last year, so that that turnaround in these last six games has to be part of the key because you're not just giving up those touchdowns and making it harder on yourself to keep yourself in those games. Have you seen anything change with that unit over the last, you know, six to seven games of the season, or was it just just that better coaching finally got home? Well, I think it's more that the, uh, you know, I, I think the special teams for this team, the special teams' troubles were more a, a symptom of other troubles. Mm-hmm. I think once the team really started to buy in, once the team really started to, to feel good, that just carried over to special teams. You know, there really wasn't a whole lot schematically they could do on special teams differently. I mean, you know, the onside kick against Cal, they, they kind of screwed that up. They, they left it wide open in the middle, uh, didn't have the right guys in the right places. But there weren't, when they were giving up these big returns, it, it really just seemed like it was more of a confidence thing than anything. You know, I, I believe their effort was good. I don't think the scheme was bad. I just think that they were kind of still a little bit beaten down, and special teams was the last area of the team to get mentally healthy. Then, you know, your team goes on this huge winning streak all of a sudden. You know the special teams guys have that swagger too, and then you know you you see guys like Gabe getting all this glory. You see your defense getting a lot of publicity. So if you're one of these guys on special teams, one of, you know a Dylan Hands or a Nate Ryder, one of these sophomores who's only playing on special teams, this is your opportunity to to be a part of it, to be a part of that turnaround, this resurgence, and uh, you know kind of show that you deserve to be a part of it next year. When frankly mm-hmm. you still got to beat guys out because they're they're returning almost everybody. You know, we're a little, speaking of returning almost everybody, uh, we're, you know, on offense, you get almost everybody back. Uh, special teams gets pretty much everybody back. I think the one thing you're kind of worried about, maybe a little bit, is the defense. You lose Destiny Vial, you lose Jeremiah Allison, uh, you, you lose some talent up front with this. But I think, Jacob, that this team is deep enough up front, and Joe Salaava has recruited enough up front, and the linebacking coaches have, you know, uh, really worked to these guys' strength enough that. Maybe it's not as big of a worry as we might think it is, and that maybe the depth on this team is finally there to absorb the impact of losing four guys on that defense who really were important to you this year. Well, you, you know, you, you really do benefit from the fact that you know Daryl Paolo and Destiny Vanier were second team All Conference guys, so you're losing two good ones there at defensive end. 
that said, and, and you know, maybe this is just a personal opinion, but if you if you consider you know Luke Falk, who will probably be a preseason Heisman guy, uh, is gonna is the best player on the team, and that Gabe may be the best pure football player on the team. So you call him your second best player. I think Hercules not off the next year's but your third best player. I really do. I think he's a future first round pick type defensive end. He just started to absolutely dominate the game uh, on Saturday. He was double teamed throughout the game. You know, neither of the second round pick defensive ends were double teamed throughout the game. It was the it was the third guy. It was the redshirt freshman who Miami just had to lock up, and he was still just blowing two players backwards because he's that strong and he's that athletic. I think Hercules not the office is someone that every offseason going forward, you're going to be worried about him leaving for the draft, rightfully so. Next year could easily be his last year, but I think it's going to be a heck of a year. I think he's certainly a first-team all-conference kind of guy, and so I think up front you're pretty set. Jeremiah Allison had a good season at linebacker, but I don't think he's someone that loses and kills your defense, and I think they've got some good backers behind it. You saw them starting to use Frankie Lubu, Chandler Lemieux, guys like mm-hmm. that quite a lot. And and at Buck, you know, losing that's where I think you could really see some drop some drop off. Ivan McLennan really came on this year because Jay Palacio had a very good season rushing the passer. I think Dylan Hanser is a great athlete and he looks like someone who can still put on a lot of muscle and become a real force for him. Logan Tago played a lot earlier in the season. He's a great athlete who's very naturally strong. And Nambi Aguayo was was kind of the guy who just, you know, uh, beat everybody up during Thursday night football this year. So you've got three good athletic young options. But I think you have to expect some drop pop and be pleasantly surprised if there isn't. And then the secondary, you know, you get Darian Moulton back. He had a very good year. Not a not an incredible bowl game necessarily, but a very good year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marcellus Pippins is just an absolute gamer. He you know, he sure doesn't look like a future NFL cornerback and, you know, size stature, but uh, you know, he just kinda makes plays. He's always there and he's probably the most confident kid on the team. And then Salomu Lani, you know, he's he <laughs> He made game-winning interceptions against Oregon and Miami, so that's not nothing. And he's also the yeah. biggest hitter on your team, so you're feeling good there. It'll be interesting to see who replaces Taylor Taliulu with the other safety spot. Uh, you got Suleiman Hamid coming back, but uh, given his size and the fact that he's missed so much time his first two years with injury, you got to be worried about uh, you know whether that is a recurring issue. Uh, you got Isaac Dotson, but injury certainly seems to be a recurring issue for Isaac Dotson. So it will be interesting to see if uh, like Hunter Dale or Cam Powell can step up and maybe take over one of those spots. Mm-hmm. But frankly, you know, every team has to replace somebody. And if all you're talking about replacing is one safety, one linebacker, and two defensive linemen, and you've got the guys they've got behind them, I think yeah, you're feeling pretty good about the defense. Let's. I know I promised we wouldn't kind of do it, but let's let's go ahead and look towards 2016 a little bit here, Jacob, because I I mean you get the feeling that that's kind of got to be the year for WSU. You're going to get Stanford with a new quarterback. You're going to get Oregon again with a new quarterback. Maybe not as much offensive talent on that team as they've had in years past. You're going to get a University of Washington team that might still be trying to figure things out on offense. And then Oregon State is still going to be rebuilding, and Cal seemed to just kind of you know tread water a little bit this year. With your three non-conference games, you should have a really good chance of winning I mean, next year really is kind of the year for Washington State if they want to make a really big statement in the Pac-12, and they seem to be set up pretty well to do it. Yeah, well, it, it certainly appears that way. And you have seven games at home, and, that, and that's just huge. Yeah. And the non-conference sets up well, like you said. If they can go and get that win at Boise, then this could you know, this could be an 11-win type season. And what's exciting is that, like you said, the Pac-12 North is really 
starting to kind of turn over. I mean, I, I would not be shocked at all if the Apple Cup is for the uh, for the Pac-12 North next year, frankly, because I think you know UW's defense is also very good. Mm-hmm. Jake Browning had a pretty good freshman season, and that Miles Gaffin kid's the best running back they've had since before Chris Polk, it seems like. So you know, I think they're set up well. Washington State set up well. Oregon and Stanford both appear set for a drop off because I don't think Dakota Proof Cup is uh, running Adams. No. And, uh, you know, I think it's really set up well for, for a great Apple Cup. And because the Apple Cup's in Pullman, like we said, they've got a great schedule for it. You kind of got to give the edge to Washington State there, I think. So, you know, I'm not going to say next year's a Rose Bowl year, but it sure would be nice to be stuck in the Pasadena airport, not the El Paso one. <laughs> <laughs> I get you. There's the. You got to fly to LAX, and I can confirm that is just hell on earth, is that entire airport. And that, or. You know what, Burbank would probably be better at that point, but LAX is just, it's like the ninth circle of Dante's hell. It goes even below seven circles. So um, let's talk about one more thing before I let Jacob Thorpe go. Uh, Mike Leach got dunked with two Gatorade bats, and he looked pretty unhappy about it on TV, but it it seemed like after the game that uh, if that was the price he had to pay for his players being really happy and for... Uh, that bowl game win, it seemed like it was uh, it was an okay price for him to pay, and those guys won't be spending too much time in the sand pit. No, well, you notice that they always try and have the seniors do it, and I think there's a reason behind that is because there's only so much he can do in retribution. But, uh, you know, I think he has a good humor about it, and he's, he's having before, and he's got some pretty good can responses for it. But, you know, he really, yeah, he took a shotgun blast of water and Gatorade. Yeah. Both barrels at the same time. That was, that was quite something. And, you know, he complains about the stickiness. But I can confirm that it was just insanely cold that day. So I have to imagine that uh, being soaked through on the field with water that was probably freezing and Gatorade that was, you know, getting in every crevice, uh, that, that can't have been a whole lot of fun for him. And no. I think that's probably why it took about a half an hour for them to come out for interviews, frankly. And I think, uh, you know, the Miami guys came out quick and then. And the Cougars had some celebrating to do, and I think Mike Leach had some changing to do. <laughs> yeah, because you, you know that the wet, cold clothes—that's just that nobody wants to be sitting in that. I, I don't blame him one bit for that. Mr. Jacob Thor from the Spokesman Interview joins us for the final time this football season. Uh, long ride for you, and one more flight back, finally out of El Paso for you, sir. Have a safe trip home. Back here on the Cook Center Hour, a big thanks to uh, Mr. Jacob Thorpe for joining us on the show. And I, I want to get to a dedicated segment uh, for a very important announcement we had over the weekend after the bowl game was over. Not we personally at Cook Center here, but we as Washington State fans got to see after the bowl game was over. And uh, that was that junior wide receiver Gabe Marks is going to come back to Washington State to play his final year 
uh, of eligibility for the Cougs. And, uh, I, I mean, what more do you say about it? Let's read what he put here on Twitter on a... He did, you know, what the kids do these days. He screenshotted a note he put up. He uses Sprint Wireless, if anybody was wondering. You weren't. Quote, when I signed with February and... Or, let me try this again. Quote, when I signed with WSU in February of 2012, I wanted to be a part of a special group of guys that turned the program around, and we did just that in 2015. I have thoroughly enjoyed the process of building a winning tradition again at Washington State, or WSU. I wouldn't trade these last four years for anything in the world. After the heartbreaking loss to Stanford this season, I realized how close this program is to being a Pac-12 champion, and I also remember the number one goal I had when committing to WSU, and that was to get the Cougars back to a Rose Bowl. It was after that disappointing game that I made my decision to return to WSU for my senior season. Hashtag unfinished business. Hashtag go Cougs. I mean, you got to feel good about a guy who says that immediately after a bowl game. And that, he, and that, like Jacob said, you take him at his word that he made the decision two months ago. I had thought, because of my mentality, that he'd at least been considering going to the NFL draft. And I'm usually of the opinion, if a kid wants to go make money and he thinks he can do it, I'm not going to stand in his way. He's not getting paid to play in college. He is getting an education out of it. But again, and we can save this for another day, the argument about whether that's adequate compensation or whatnot. But again, that's a much longer argument than we want to have. The point is, is that if a kid can go make money, I... I Nine times out of ten, do not have an objection to it. Go make your money. That that's that's why you came to college to play football. But it speaks to who Gabe Marks is as a leader on this football team. It speaks to who he is as a person that he didn't even have to wait until after the season to know if he would be coming back to this football team. He made this decision after what for everybody, everybody was a heartbreaking loss to get that close to beating one of the best teams in the country, a team that's in the Rose Bowl and narrowly missed going to the college football playoff to know that he made the decision then. And that has been his mindset for the last two months that I am coming back to Washington State to finish some business. We've heard of, you know all the all recruits say in the past, well, I want to get Washington State back to glory. I want to get it back to Rose Bowl. That is finally attainable for this team. And for a guy in Gabe Marks who has become what Mike Leach wants in a leader, a guy who parrots him at press conference. You know, Gabe Mark's press conferences are must-listens, must-be-there-for-them. He's, you know, uh, he's kind of a little bit of a smart-ass, and I kind of love that. And, you know, the way he answers questions, you know, oh, Luke Falk's on a glory boy. Oh, hey, there's number four now, most popular man on campus. It's, it's hard not to love who he is as a person, and it's hard not to love who he is on this football team. And I think any time, and this kind of ties into what we talked about a second ago, any time that a student athlete 
wants to sacrifice his potential earning future for the good of your institution's football team, that needs to be admired. Brandon Gibson did that in 2007. He could have left for the draft, stuck around for an awful 2008 season. And Gabe Marks is doing it right now. Gabe Marks could go to the NFL draft. I'm not sure where he'd be drafted. Most things I've seen were roughly a third day, early third day pick maybe. So fourth to fifth round. And I've had discussions about whether another year could improve his draft stock, whatever. But taking all of that out of the discussion about where he would go in the draft, I think he would undoubtedly be making money in the NFL next year. But what he's doing is, is he's sacrificing that for this university's football team, for your football team, the football team at your alma mater, he is sacrificing that. I don't think enough is made sometimes when a player does that. The injury risk, the absolute hell these kids put their bodies through every week and they do it for a scholarship. They do it for a small stipend to help them get by. I don't think that is something that we talk about enough. That yes, we admire him for coming back and we love that he's coming back. And I know the comments on Kook Center, Facebook, wherever have been nothing but supportive of it. We love that he's coming back. We say thank you for coming back. But what's not talked about enough is that the fact that this kid could be sacrificing potential earnings in the future for this for your football team for your football team's chance to get back to a Rose Bowl let me be clear about something if Gabe Marks coming back next year gets this team to a Rose Bowl I want I he will probably go down as the best receiver to ever come through Washington State if he hasn't already he should never have to buy a drink in Pullman again once he's not academically el- once he's not out of eligibility because you can't buy drinks for anybody because NCAA rules are stupid and pointless and dumb. If he can do this, obviously his sacrifice of a year in the NFL wouldn't be in vain. But the level of appreciation you'd have to have for a guy who comes back when he didn't have to. I mean, Gabe Marks did not have to do this. He could have left. And I would not have blamed him one bit for it. I would not have blamed Gabe Marks for leaving this football team at all. The same way D'Angelo Casto leaving, maybe not the best decision in the world, but he had other priorities, and I get that. Clay Thompson, well, you certainly see why you can't blame him for leaving a year early. He's got a ring to show you why. And he makes more money than Steph Curry. I have no idea how that's possible. I I, I would not have objected to Gabe leaving. But the fact that he is choosing to come back for another year shows you how much he's matured from that standpoint. Is he still the same kid who came here as a freshman and ran his mouth at the seniors of practice about being better than them and the secret was he was better than them? Yeah. But it's important for him to keep that side of his personality while at the same time maturing in the way he has. 
becoming the person that he is now. The le- a leader on this football team and a guy who has a chance next year to shatter a lot of records. He's going to break a lot of WSU records like next year, assuming he stays healthy. Let's be clear about that. A lot of WSU receiving records are going to fall, and they're going to fall a long way because Gabe Marks is going to try to put them out of reach. Career records. He can break some single-season records. Got close to the single-season catch record this year that Vince Maley set. But Gabe Marks is going to put a lot of records out of reach next year. Let's be clear about that. And this football team is set up for success, and I think he knows that. Getting him back puts this team over the top offensively for next year. It puts them over the top. Completely. Without him, this offense probably would have been alright. But with him, this offense is just stupid good. No Joe Dahl, but Andre Dillard filled in well for him when he was hurt. You lose Dom Williams... A quick, deep threat receiver. Everybody else. Back. Your quarterback. Every other receiver except for Tyler Baker. Who I wanted to make sure. I'm going to miss his pet wolf. All your running backs. Plus you get James Williams. And now add Gabe Marks to it. Kid's going to win the Bolitnikoff Trophy. Pissed he didn't this year, and I can't blame him. Or at least he wasn't a finalist. I can not blame him for not for being mad about that. This offense is going to be so damn good next year. <laughs> Woo, baby. Downhead of the week time. And we're doing a little different segment to end the show this week. Not ask Michael anything. I don't want to hog the spotlight with my great answers to your awesome questions. We do a little three words to describe the 2015 season. We've got your answers, plus the Dunderhead of the Week coming up next on the Coop Center Hour. Time final one of the football season. I, I, I kept referencing in the opening that um, no one caught uh, the first touchdown drive for WSU uh, because it wasn't actually on TV. Because the basketball game prior to the Sun Bowl on CBS ran late. Well, it didn't run late because I don't know why in their right mind CBS is scheduling a basketball game to only take two hours. It virtually never happens anymore. But not only did that game run late, so the scheduling was bad from that standpoint, then when we got done with the basketball game, 
Uh, CBS decided that it would be a good time to run about four minutes of commercials. Four minutes. I know you can get to a basketball game quicker, or a football game quicker than that, and I realize, as someone who's dealt with radio programming, that sometimes it's not just not easy to move commercials around. But I know they can play later in the day. I know they can. I know you can make good commercials. I know you can do that. You've got a huge local audience looking to get to that football game right away. Looking for that football game to occur right away. And it takes you four friggin' minutes to get to it. I'm never buying a Hyundai. I'm never buying a Volkswagen. I'm never never buying... I, I don't even remember what other commercials I saw during that four-minute span, but I'm not buying whatever it was during that span. Jesse Jones is on Cairo, right? They ran a commercial for him. I want Jesse Jones to investigate why it took CBS four minutes or why they decided that four minutes was fine between the end of that basketball game and the beginning of the football game that had already started. I won't comment on Carter Blackburn or Gary Danielson. I was in a bar. It was loud. I couldn't hear a word they were saying. My understanding is it wasn't a very good broadcast. Okay, fine. I'm not going to say anything about that. I have no idea if it was or not. But I know that it should not take four minutes to get from a basketball game that ended late to a football game that got pushed back to start late that had already started. And you also shouldn't be scheduling a basketball game to only take two hours. Especially when you're CBS and you have no alternate channel to throw the game onto. Even if it's just CBS Sports Network, which by the way apparently was busy showing uh, replays of a truck race. ESPN can get away with this. They have an online platform and they've got like how many multitudes of alter alternate channels? They've got ESPN2, they've got ESPN News, they've got ESPNU, they've got ESPN3 or Watch ESPN, whatever you want to call it. ESPN Classic even. They have this multitude of other stuff they can show that game on. CBS has... Uh, CBS. That, just some awful scheduling, and then even worse, to not get to the game quickly, to sit on your hands for four minutes, and we missed that opening touchdown. Not bitter about it. Not mad about it. New segment, final one of the year. Three words to describe WSU season coming up right now. We normally would do Ask Michael Anything here, but we asked folks to uh, do something a little different yesterday on the Twitter. We asked for you to describe the 2015 WSU season in three words. It was my favorite thing to do when I controlled the Kook Center Twitter uh, earlier, which I think everybody liked that, right? Did everybody like that? The pants off thing? Everybody like that? Okay. At Mr. Tommy G, man, Luke Falk Clutch. I can agree with that. At Pazzy J, Hard Run Son. <laughs> Keith Harrington's dad might have emerged as, like, my favorite thing in the season. Good hard run, son. At that Kellen guy, do your job. At Big Red WSU underscore nine win season. I mean, yeah, that's pretty good. At Carl Herschel, amazing gritty experience. At Johnson Camden, just the beginning. At Coach Clark 78, disappointment then success. At Aaron Hahn Media, more brown liquor. Not the only person to, uh... To say more brown liquor <laughs> at Wazoo Coog 99, President Floyd smiling. You're damn right he is. 
at Crispy Critter. Perseverance pays off. At turn, H2O Coog exceeded my expectations. Everybody, I think, got exceeded by that. At Kyle Rancourt, uh, Gabe Marks Heisman. Dude should win the Bolitnikov next year, and there's not like... No, okay, I'm not getting that far ahead of myself. At S. Kramer writes, Buffalo Wild Wings. We didn't do that on the game threads as much this year, did we? Not that I could see, anyway. At Big Mike Sanders, brazenly swung sword. At M. Hoagie, utterly confusing, amazing. At Death by 105, awful to awesome. At Wazoo Gruber, Cougs are back. I like this. At SSFC Footy 13, all the fireball. At Rip City Coog, we want Pam. <laughs> At Jeff O'Neill, big time plays. At Bigwood WSU, our own Kyle Sherwood. We had PJ Kendall there earlier. Team Brown Liquor. I like brown liquor. At George P. Frazier, a winning culture. At Jimmy the Coog, now open wallets. That's a big one. Can't underemphasize that. Open up your wallets if you want this to continue. At Jabba Stew's, what just happened? <laughs> Can I ask myself sometimes? I'm going to end with this one because I like this one. At Alokia Grant, finally don't suck. It's been kind of a long decade, hasn't it? We thank you for listening to the Kook Center. We'll be back in a couple weeks to talk some basketball. But until then, just revel in it, guys. 9-4 with a win in the Sun Bowl. Here in the Kook Center out.